Unbelievable. Yes. Thursday, December 30th. I mean, can you believe it? We're finally here. A lot of people want to say goodbye to 2021, but market participants have loved it. I'm Guy Adami, joined by Dan Nathan, and this is Market Call. At 11 a.m. Eastern Time, every Thursday, we attempt to demystify the latest Wall Street research. Our main man, that's Carter Braxton Worth, is going to be joining us. John Butters is on a well-deserved vacation. He'll be back. But as I mentioned, Carter Braxton Worth and the great Liz Young from SoFi, we have a big announcement for you today. Starting Monday, Monday, we'll be launching Market Call Charts. With Carter Worth. That's going to be live at 11 a.m. right here on Open Exchange. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by our three presenting sponsors FactSet, SoFi, and Open Exchange. Dan Nathan, how are you today? I love it, guy, that you were just amazed that we got here. We got here to December 30th. We made it, man. And you know, the market call for me is is this is this is like a religion at this point. So we're doing it live with Carter on Mondays. We're doing it on Tuesdays. We're doing it on Thursdays. Before you know it, we may just engulf your whole week live at 11 o'clock. we got to thank FactSet for stepping up and being part of the Monday market call as they are on the Thursday market call, Guy Adami. No doubt about it. And, you know, somebody that we want to bring in, we've gotten to know really well over the last year or so. It's great when you can have two names, two initials for your name, like, if I were doing it, I'd go EY, sort of Elizabeth Young, but I'm sure LY works. It doesn't matter. She's great regardless. But welcome, EY. How are you today? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm here in my parents' house. They would love for you to use EY. Is that right? Well, please tell them yeah. that I'm on board then. I'll go EY all day long here with that. And listen, as Dan just mentioned, it's been great getting to know you. Your work speaks for itself, but sort of surmise or sort of wrap up 2021. You've had a lot of great calls, some surprises, but a lot of things have really come to stead in terms of what you talked about at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I mean, when you look back at the year, first of all, biggest surprise for me on a a joke front is mom jeans came back into style. I still can't believe that that (laughs) happened. Skinny jeans went out, mom jeans came in. I can't do it, but whatever. That was my biggest shock. But when you look at what happened in the market in the year, I still think the biggest surprise is that the yield curve got flatter. I'm calling for a steeper yield curve in 2022. I'm hoping I'll be right this time. I think that was a huge surprise to everybody. And then I think a lot of the flip-flopping, right? We saw cyclicals take shape a little bit and then it went back to tech and we did that two or three times throughout the year. Still a big surprise to me. I think something that when you look at just themes in the market, one of the biggest surprises too is new business formation. I did some quick math right before this. There have been 8.8 million applications for new businesses since the pandemic began. So that was since March, 2020. And that is the highest level, the monthly levels that we're seeing, the highest level that we've ever seen since that was measured. So I think that is fascinating. I think there's a whole new trend taking place in the business cycle and just in the business world in general. It's this like resistance against big corporations and working at big corporations. Well, think about that for a second. I mean, Dan and I started a business, Risk Reversal Media. We're going to have Carter on in a minute. He started a new business as well. So, I mean, anecdotally, we can speak to that. So I'm with you on the surprises, but what should we be looking for? You mentioned you're hoping that the yield curve steepens. Um, I get it. I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't think anybody knows. But what are you looking for in 2022? What are the most important things we should be on the lookout for? 
Yeah. I mean, most important things, the most obvious one is rising rates, right? That's not a new story to anybody. But I think what you have to think about as an investor, and this is where we have to come back to some of the basics. What's your objective in 2022? Where are you in your investing life cycle? If your objective is income, you might actually have to do some stuff that is counterintuitive in a rising rate cycle. So if you're looking for income, slowly as rates rise, dividend paying stocks and the average dividend yield on the S&P just isn't going to look attractive anymore. So you have to look at other places. I think that there's going to be some decent buying opportunities in high yield, probably some decent buying opportunities in corporate credit, maybe even in asset-backed securities. I hear they're giving car loans now for 10 years. Now we have to watch the credit quality of that, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But if your objective is income, you're probably going to have to search, and you might actually have new opportunities in 2022. And it sounds weird to say that, but I hope that you end up having new opportunities to find income in 2022. Also, what I just talked about, that new business formation, there's this trend about venture capitalism too. Dan, I know you're big into that theme. When you look at all these businesses that have started and eventually those businesses will go public, right? A big swath of them will go public So this could also be, and I know I love to turn something into a small cap pitch, this could also be the beginning of a new revolution of small cap companies really taking over. So in 2022, rising rates, I do think small cap does well. I also think as we get into the back half of 2022, international investing is something that we're going to be talking a lot more about. Yeah, I don't disagree on the international investing front. I will tell you on the on the new issue front and the small cap front, I, I, I'm not sure it's going to be a revolution. I don't know if you saw that uh, article in the Wall Street Journal about IPO performance over the last year or so. It sounds like you know one in three are actually up from their IPO that have IPO'd over the last year. And then the other pocket where a lot of companies have come to public market is via SPAC, and the SPACs are just getting killed. If you've de-SPAC, yep. you know, so all of a sudden we've had a huge rush to market markets where, you know, it used to be a couple of years ago, the argument was we don't have enough publicly traded stocks, whether they've gone out of business over the last 15 years, or they've been gobbled up by private equity or strategic M&A. So that'll be really interesting because there's a whole heck of a lot more supply. You just mentioned, though, the idea of of yield and how that might change in a rising rate environment. Liz, I want to get your take. Have you seen the move in consumer staple stocks over just the last month? They are literally up about 10% as measured by the XLP ETF trading at 52 week highs are very near. And the same thing for utilities. They've also had this move. Now, both have underperformed the broad market, but they've had huge moves of late, which actually speak to something different about a higher rate environment, if that's what you're expecting in 2022. Yeah. So there's two things I would say about that. Usually when you see a move up in staples and utilities, those are the traditional defensive plays or the the traditional dividend plays in the market. I don't think that this had anything to do with dividends. I think it was a fear move on Omicron coming back out in December. We'll show a chart later of basically just sentiment on news headlines. There was a huge drop in sentiment in December for obvious reasons as Omicron came out and started to threaten us again. So I think that was more of a fear-based move. As we go into 2022, I think also though, you can look at different things and I would, I would urge our viewers to do this throughout the year. Look at things like where discretionary is moving versus staples, right? Or where software is moving versus semiconductors. Those are two big indicators of cyclicality and just risk appetite. So I think that that move was, all right, we still want to stay in the stock market. We're not going to pull money out of stocks. We're going to stay in the stock market, but we're going to do it in a little bit different of a way when we're afraid. So Tina's still at play. 
Uh, oh, I think there are. You didn't do that. Stop. Stop. I did. I did Stop. it. I did it. I did it. It was an open mic. So. No, all right. So, so there I'm is no there. alternative. There is no alternative. That's what we say on the market call. We don't use that acronym here because guy, we might lose guy, Liz. <laughs> Trig- guy what do they call we? when he you trigger somebody, Dan? Yeah, they call it triggering somebody. All right, here's somebody who triggers me <laughs> all the time in a good way, though. I love David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research. Liz, and I know that you came armed with some thoughts on consumer spending, but I want to read a tweet from David yesterday. They call him Rosie affectionately on the Twitter. He tweeted, it's almost comical to see everyone gushing over MasterCard's data showing 8.5% year-over-year holiday sales off the depressed levels of a year ago. Back out the math since we already know November's spending activity, and it means a sequential month-over-month retail sales slide for December. We know that a lot of purchasing activity was pulled forward. There were worries about supply chain issues and delivery before holidays, that sort of thing. What's your take on, on Rosie's comment? And give us your take generally on what you're seeing as far as consumer spending or the health of the consumer. Yeah, I think he's right. I think, you know, it's really easy to spin a story. And if you just look at the data from Black Friday and Cyber Monday, it was down year over year. It was down, you know, below pre-pandemic levels. So it's obvious that consumers are still not back to where they were. But something that took shape in November, we got this data in December, The personal savings rate is down to 6.9%. That's 6.9% of disposable income. And that is now below the pre-pandemic level. So if you look at what the reading was in January, February of 2020, it was about 7.8%, got up to 8.2%, I think, in February. Either way, we're back down below that level. Now, 6.9% is still far above where we were pre-housing crisis. So the savings rate actually got down to 2.1% pre-housing crisis. But the percentages are important. I think the dollar amounts are even more important. We've been hearing for so long that there's all this pent-up savings. There's $2.5 trillion still that consumers have in savings ready to deploy. Well, eventually that does run out. And the expected bleed rate of that $2.5 trillion in 2022 is about $50 billion a month. So if we start bleeding at $50 billion a month, first of all, Those lower income classes get hit harder. They're the ones that are going to bleed faster. So we have to start watching the consumer spending and the quality of consumer spending. So something that I'll watch, I'll probably put charts up about this and use data about this in 2022. The New York Fed does this report on household debt and basically the quality of household debt and the size of household debt. Just as an anecdote, right now, the total level of household debt is above where it was in 2008. So if you looked at housing debt, the mortgage debt, we were at about 10 trillion back then. We're up above, I believe, 12 or 13 trillion right now. So the levels of debt are moving up. You can also look at the quality of debt in there. I think as we get to the midpoint in 2022, this is something that we're gonna have to watch. How much are households borrowing? Can they sustain it? And can they sustain it in a rate hike cycle? Obviously rates are gonna go up. Their interest coverage ratio is going to be tougher to meet. So this is something I'd keep an eye on. Right. And that brings us to economic sentiment, which is hard for me to say, but something you brought with you as well. Listen, I'm totally with you on debt. I mean, debt's going to be a problem and zero interest rates. Nobody seems to care, but as rates grind higher, it's going to be a topic of conversation. But let's take a look at your next chart, because I think that speaks to a lot of the things you just woven into this narrative, Liz. Yeah. So the next chart is this funky index that I found that shows you the daily news sentiment. So it measures 
what the sentiment is in a bunch of newspapers across the country, all the ones that mention economics, so on and so forth. Obviously, you see a big dip in sentiment late September, October. That's when we were talking about Delta taking over. That's when we started hearing a lot about supply chains being a lasting issue, inflation, all of that. So you see this huge dip in the index. But interestingly, the S&P was still up about 4% over that period. Recently, you see this dip, obviously due to Omicron. S&P up still over 4% during that period. And this dip is even more swift. So I would make two points here. First point is don't get swayed by the headlines. Obviously, this is a perfect illustration of why you should not get swayed by the headlines because you're going to miss out on market opportunity. Second point is this dip was a lot faster. I think over time, we're just going to get over stuff faster. There's going to be new variants. There's going to be curveballs that get thrown at us throughout this. We're probably going to get through it a little bit quicker each time, especially as we have more and more information on the health front. So when you look at 2022, again, this is another theme that you're going to hear from people like me, fundamentals back in the forefront. So an index like this is something that gauges momentum, sentiment. It's all about our feelings, right? We're going to make decisions based on these lofty feeling ideas. I think in 2022, we have to make decisions based on a lot more fundamental hard facts. Listen, this speaks to what we talk about all the time. This is visual evidence that we've said the markets learned how to deal with the variants and the subsequent news flow that comes out. I mean, that speaks to it right there. The fact that you know, sentiment can do one thing, the market does something entirely different. So thank you for showing that with our eyes, not our ears, EY. I think Dan wants to say something real quick, but I mean this sincerely. It's been great getting to know you. You're a huge part of what we're trying to do here. So on behalf of Dan, I thank you, but I know Dan has some words as well. Yeah, it's been our pleasure to have you, Liz. All year long here, you've been on our spaces, you've been on our podcast on the tape, and now we're participating together on this market call. It's been a lot of fun. So we wish you and your family out there in Wisconsin a very happy new year, and we will see you next week. We're just going to turn the page, guy. Yeah, like Bob Seeger. And I'm going to say, I know we have up against it in time-wise, but I want to ask Liz one quick question. I know that Packer fans are hoping that you're playing in early 2022, and that's probably a foregone conclusion at this point. But my quick question to you is, will Aaron Rodgers be behind center in the fall of 2022 for the Packers of Green Bay? Oof. You know, he made a statement that he was going to tell us quickly what his decision was, which tells me that he's already made his decision. He just hasn't said anything yet. I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. So well, we'll have to wait and see. I think we can start taking bets. Yeah, I, listen, we'll put that on the uh, on the betting lines for sure. My sense is he's going to say goodbye, but, you know, what do I know? But it is time to say goodbye to you. Listen, Liz, where can we find your stuff? Tell us where we can find everything getting out of here. You can find me on Twitter at Liz Young Strat. You can find me in SoFi's Daily Newsletter every Thursday. You can find me on the website. There's a blog section dedicated to investment strategy and all my stuff is in there. And we can find you as part of the investment committee on the halftime report and closing bell that and is correct. squawk on the street and any show that CNBC has, you're t we can <laughs> typically find you on. They're lucky to have you. Thanks, Liz. Happy New Year to you and your family. Thanks for joining us. Now it's time to bring in the aforementioned Carter Braxton Worth, who again, as I mentioned earlier, started his own business. How are you, CBW? Oh, the great word aforementioned. It covers a lot just with a long one single word. <laughs> a person or something we were talking about before, all in one word, aforementioned. See, that? Right. I, I try to be a wordsmith. I am not in your category, but I'm trying to get there. Okay. So 
You heard what we're talking about. I know you'd like to bring charts with us. I mean, there's been a lot to sort of talk about for 2021. The market's done some extraordinary things. Can we all summed up in the first chart you're bringing with us with the S&P? Yeah. Before we look at the chart, I mean, let's just, if you step back and think about it, there were a couple of things that were considered almost gospel as the year started. Consensus was interest rates would go higher. Nope. We're sitting here at 1.5% on the 10 year treasury. The consensus was small caps would outperform. Nope. Russell 2000 is up 14%. S&P is up almost twice that. Consensus was that semis, which have crushed the market two years in a row, went over Nope. They crushed the market again. Semis up. 42%, more than tech, more than the S&P. I think the irony is, is that nothing has changed, that value is not working, an individual name here or there, but great marquee investments are things that grow over time, that take market share, that are disruptors. And that's not the case when you're trying to play DuPont versus U.S. Steel, U.S. Steel versus paper company XYZ. It's an interesting point you make. I mean, I think sometimes we have too much information and we try to make this more complicated than it is. But as you just outlined, sometimes the simplest explanation is the best explanation. And look, I think a lot of it then comes to full circle in terms of the S&P 500 chart, which, look, we've seen some dips, but nothing of any magnitude whatsoever this year. And if you have seen a sell-off, it has not lasted all that long, CBW. No, we've had these five and seven percenters, two percenters. This is a very short-term chart, three, four months. And what we're looking at is the internal trend line since that peak in November. Now, that was the peak for the Russell 2000 where the red line starts. And for many sort of mid and small cap stocks that haven't gone back there. But that internal trend line comes in around 1805. That would close the year right there, plain and simple. But we've got a longer-term chart. And if you look at, obviously, the up and to the right two-year chart of the S&P, it is just that. You characterize that as an uptrend, north by northeast, higher, steadily higher, never gets extended, it dips. The question is, this perpetual motion machine is U.S. equity market, as measured by the standard course. Can that continue yet again? We shall see. Uh, my That's hunch is that it won't be so easy. I can't, for the life of me, imagine it's going to be as Easy is probably not the right word, but for lack of a better word, as easy as it's been this year, because if you just basically close your eyes and just understand there are going to be a couple of days over the course of a year that are not that friendly to the market, I mean, by and by, the market does pretty well. But the next thing we need to look at is in the oil world, and it's the OIH, because this is something I have some pretty strong views on. I know you do as well, Carter. Talk to me about crude oil. Well, so oil is an interesting juncture. This is a Colorful. That's a that facts and chart. You've got those blue lines. You've got the red arrows. You've got the green arrows. I mean, this is like paint by color. But the point is, we <laughs> dropped from essentially ninety-two dollars a barrel thereabouts, eighty-eight, all the way to sixty-two. We're back to the midpoint of this formation. I think you start to trim here. Uh, I had a lot of clients asking, why can't we get to the top, up to you know nineties and higher? We can. But that's tomorrow's lunch. Forget about that. Here and now, we just bounced from sixty-three to seventy-seven. I think you start to trim. Yeah, Carter, I'd say one thing that's kind of interesting. You were talking about the things that were people were fairly confident about at the start of this year. And one of those things was that crude oil might get to about 100 bucks. It seems like the bull case for oil seemed to be fairly universal. Now, it's definitely moved its way up. If you think about crude, it started the year under 50 bucks and it almost 
it almost had a double if you if you think about it, right? But at this point, it seems like the fits and starts of the global economy reopening in a way that supports $100 oil might not be there right now. And when I look at this chart, and I agree, it is a really interesting juncture here. I say to myself, I think we're making the right shoulder of a head and shoulders sort of top. Dan is bringing up a very important point. The eye can see anything, right? And we all know that just the funny mentalist can say PE is 20, PE is 25. Hey, my price target's this, my price target's that. So could that be, Dan's referring to those highs of July, we made new highs in November. Could that be a head and shoulders formation? Yes. There's no way to know that. But what would be important to look for is it stops right here at that blue line drawn and never exceeds the high of July. You put in a little bit of a lower shoulder, not good. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's look at the oil services. This is one that I know a lot of traders like to play for the beta here. And when you think about this OIH index or ETF, however you decide to play it here, it is made up of a handful of stocks, right? Like a few stocks make up maybe 50% of the weight. And this chart that you're going to show us right here, man, oh man, I mean, this thing really lags if you think about it. I mean, it looks like that kind of head and shoulders pattern that might be forming in crude. The difference to me, Carter, is that it's forming that below the breakdown level of the pandemic in early 2020. I'd love to get your take on that. Well, that's right. So if the formation that Dan's referring to and has a well-defined shoulder and you see the neckline were happening at sort of all-time highs, that's much more sinister. So it's really not that, I would say, as it is just a malaise or just stuck. Now, if we can, let's toggle back and forth. I got two charts, same time frame here. One, two, back and forth, back and forth. And what we've got is a key reference there we know we're at the downtrend. Okay, and it stopped right there. If you go to the original chart, that line drawn is the day the pandemic came to town, right? That's that's essentially, and we never could quite get back above that. We tried. So I would characterize this is what a pair of twos is. In poker, if you have three of a kind, you know what you got. You play a full house or straight. If you have two cards, a pair of twos, not even a pair of eights, the only thing worse than that is five random cards. The truth is full. Just don't play. <laughs> pair of twos, don't play. I love Carter Braxton Worth. So look, this is the segment called This Is What Makes Markets. And since it's a holiday week, analysts seem to take this week off. Not a lot of street research. So we thought we'd do something interesting. We're going to give our top picks. Now, we just talked about crude oil and we just talked about the OIH. As Dan mentioned, a couple stocks are pretty much a lion's share of it. It's Halliburton, Schlumberger, and Baker Hughes. Halliburton's going to be mine. Now, Dan and Carter are right. That charts, Those charts do not look good in terms of the OIH. But I do think crude's going higher. I think that has to be one of the pillars of this recommendation that I'm making. So, yes, I think crude is going higher. You see it there. Valuation, you know what? I think it's pretty compelling here. It's 16 times next year's numbers with about 45, 50% potential EPS growth. Halliburton's too cheap. And by the way, they've been forced to become more efficient. I mean, these companies have all, but for, for whatever reason, and a lot of it has to do with the business environment, They've been forced to really take a look critically at their businesses, and a lot of them have done exactly that. So Halliburton's just a better-run business now. I think this stock could be easily in the low 30s next year. I think the average price target is 29.5. I know the charts don't look great, but I think this is a call on crude oil, one, 
a better run company two and valuation three. So Halliburton is mine. Dan Nathan, what say you? Yeah, no, listen, on a single stock basis, if you're telling me that this is a company that's going to get back to their kind of prior or pre-pandemic earnings and sales, and there hasn't been too much degradation to their balance sheet, and and we're going to have that sort of reflation trade. And, and if you're telling me that fossil fuels are still going to be in vogue, then great. This is a sounds like a very sturdy sort of pick. I'll just say this. I look at the revenues guy. They're next year expected to be 30% below their peak from 2018 of $24 billion. And then I think about where the stock was trading in 2018 and it was like 58 bucks. So here we are down here near 23 or so. And so those estimates, they better reach them, you know, like sooner than later here, because it just seems like there's a lot of value decaying in this space, especially relative to the price of the underlying. So to me, I'm just, you know, as I said in the prior segment, I'm just not, I don't have an edge when it comes to the oil patch, but to me, I'm a bit skeptical on the trade, but I like your pitch there, guys. I think you like one of the largest companies on planet Earth, Dan, and that's your pick for 2022. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, here's the deal. I, you know, for me, I'm also want to be tactical. So I, you know, we play this game on fast money. We do it here in market call. What's your best pick? That sort of thing. You know, for me, I don't really pick a point in time. Like just because today we're doing this segment doesn't mean you have to own this stock right here. But one of the things that I find really interesting about the performance of the markets in 2021 was the absolute concentration in this MAGA sector, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google. The problem was Amazon this year. Those three prior names each gained a trillion dollars in market cap, and they represent a disproportionate amount of the gains in the S&P 500 over the last six months. We've talked about that a little bit. Here's the thing. Amazon Right now, there's a huge disconnect between investors who are only bidding the stock up 5% on the year, down at about 10% from its all-time highs made in July, and then analyst community. If you look at FactSet, the, the collection of the broker ratings, the Wall Street analyst ratings, I think 100% of them have buys or strong buys, and there are no holds and no sells. So to me, you have a situation where you have downbeaten investor sentiment, you have exuberant analyst sentiment, you have relative underperformance in a raging bull market for mega cap growth stocks. And then to me, that suggests possibly another leg lower. But here's the deal. I want to buy that leg. And I think it happens in early Q1 of 2022. And I just want to make one point. In July, right when that stock was making all-time highs, Jeff Bezos, the founder and CEO, the only CEO this company has ever had, handed over the reins to a guy named Andrew Jassy. Jassy was the guy who oversaw the build-out of AWS. That was the division that allowed this company to grow their sales to about a half a billion in e-commerce at a very low margin because that other business was a very high margin. So I think Jassy is going to put his own imprint on this company in 2022. It might be in the form of capital return. If you think about Apple when Cook took over, you think about Microsoft when Nadella took over, you think about Google with Pichar, they all put in place or they all accelerated some capital return. That might be the thing for Amazon. All right. That was a whole heck of a lot. But when I look at their expected EPS and sales growth, looking at fact set estimates, and I see growth better than all those other three names that I mentioned, I think Amazon's year is 2022. But let's go to the chart real quickly. And then I want to hear Carter's take on this. We call this a hungry alligator, Carter, on the market call here. You see that uptrend from the summer lows here or from the March lows here. You see that double bottom, right, from winter into spring. You see that beautifully defined double top. 
I think it's straddling this 200-day. I think if we get a broad market sell-off in January and February, I think you have the stock heading towards 3,000. That's where I want to enter this position. What say you, Carter Braxtonworth? I'm speechless. I'm stuck. I'm speechless. I'm stuck with the alligator thing. I am still uh, coping with that. But uh, hey, there's a lot going on in that chart, which is fine. I'm all for it. I look. I, I like Amazon. The upside. Here's why. If you were to just pull back, you know, pull your head back from the screen by two feet and just ask oneself. After a move like that, 1,500 to 3,000, double, that then a stock rests for a year. And Amazon's done this in the past as well. It doubles and then rests for 18 months. If you took 100 stocks exactly in this sense, 1940, 1980, 2008, all out of the business, dead, what percentage of them get resolved by breakouts to the upside? Meaning after a strong advance and you consolidate rest, it's multiple compression, you're getting cheaper and cheaper, and you usually get resolved in the direction of the preceding move. So a huge move up, a double, 1,500 to 3,500, a big consolidation, and then whammo, up and out. I like it a lot. We've seen this before, by the way, Carter. If we had a longer-term chart, we could look at 2018. We saw sideways action as well, probably for about, I would say, 12 to 15 months before we took that next huge leg higher. I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. So I'm with you on this one. I think Amazon could be the stock that everybody's talking about in 2022. You brought a name that we don't talk about often enough, not nearly often enough, United Therapeutics, UTHR. It's a really interesting company. I know you can wax poetic on it. I'm with you on this, by the way. So I don't know anything about it, and that's important to say, right? I mean, this is as pure as there. But I thought we'd do something that, one, is not talked about a lot, two, has a decent market cap, right? It's, it's $10 billion, so it's not a piker, but it's not sort of large and sort of well-observed. And three, biotech, which has been very beaten up area of the market. And so given all those things, let's look at a chart or two. The first is basically the here and now chart. And if you look at UTHR here and now, we're looking at a chart that is basically a textbook breakout candidate, right? So you see the uptrend, you see the dips to trend, the blue line, and then you see the well-defined tops at a common level. We keep probing those tops, but we make higher lows as we do it. That is what a conventional buy juncture is, a perspective breakout to device. Now, look at the longer-term chart. So it's been consolidating for a year. Why? It's basically right now, just now, having contended with its 2015 highs, starting to move above its 2015. Now, that's a long time ago. 2015, we're about to be 2022. So if you care about fundamentals, I don't. Here's something to keep in mind. At that former peak in 2015, it earned around $12, $13. Next year, it's projected to earn 16. We don't know if the analyst projections are right or wrong, high or low. Maybe it's going to earn 19. But the point is, you're buying a stock just above its prior high from seven, eight years ago when its earnings potential or prospective earnings are much higher than they were then i.e. it's cheaper, it's just breaking out, technically it's good, this is the pick. All right, Carter, I care about the fundamentals and I use the technicals and I've been tracking your work for over 10 years because to me, it actually starts a lot of trade ideas for me or starts a lot of investment ideas when I see a formation and I see it in multiple timeframes and I see it laid out the way you just did. It gets me to look at the fundamentals, and that's really important. And I just want to say this as a little aside here, people, for those of you watching, this is what we are going to do every Monday live at 11 a.m. on Market Call Charts. We're going to marry 
Carter's takes on the charts and Guy and my takes on fundamentals or catalysts, that sort of thing. So we're going to be really trading oriented. So definitely tune into that. When I look at this thing and I start looking at, you just said, a market cap of about $10 billion. They have $3.5 billion in cash on their balance sheet, net of debt about two point eight. So it's got a brilliant balance sheet for a biotech company, right, that actually has earnings. They have expected earnings and sales growth per fact set for the next two years of at least mid-teens percentage on both. And I see a stock trading well below many of its peers and well below the market multiple. So that's kind of all I need to do to get in here and figure out how to play this stock for the next move. For me, I might want to try to find a catalyst. I might want to think about the sentiment as it relates to the group. But all of those kind of line up here. So I like this call and I appreciate you bringing it to me. And we're going to do this every Monday at 11 on Market Call Charts. This is a great call. And, you know, you talk about EPS growth. I probably, if you really look at it, you know, in the mid 30% range, trading at 12 and a half times next year's numbers. I think they report in early February. Absolutely one you want to take a look at. And by the way, as Carter will tell you, there are no triple tops. Is that correct, Carter Braxton Worth? <laughs> there are until there are. But anyway, it looks like it's up and out, this guy. Listen, I want to thank our guests again, Liz Young, EY as I call her. Thanks for obviously joining us. She's going to be with us all through 2022. Carter Braxton Worth, Dan just mentioned it. He's going to talk about it again. If you like financial data and earnings content shared during the market call, subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more great content, Dan. That's right, man. And just listen. You know, we can't thank our sponsors enough. We wouldn't be here without it. We love doing this content. We love participating in this. We love them marrying their brands with ours. So we want to thank our presenting sponsors. As Guy likes to say, count them three. FactSet, SoFi, get your money right. I think they say all in one app, Guy Adami. And obviously our friends at Open Exchange who are powering all of the content that we are bringing to you through Market Call. So thank you to all of them. And thank you to Carter. Happy New Year, buddy. And we'll see you on Monday. And thank you, Guy Adami. It's been a fun ride in 2021. Has been. And Happy New Year, all our viewers. We'll see you next week again, starting on Monday for Market Call Charts Tuesday. Market Call Macro Wednesday for Global Political Outlook. And Thursday for Market Call Street Research. It all starts on January 3rd, which is Monday of next week. We're looking forward to it. Happy New Year, Dan Carter, Liz Young, and most importantly, you folks. See you next week. See you later.